Hello and welcome to the 495. I am your host, Doug Sparks, Editor-in-Chief of Merrimack Valley Magazine, here for the first time live from my garage, which if you've seen the May issue, you've seen a picture of my garage. This has been my my makeshift office uh, since the pandemic started. And uh, this week I'm doing it uh, live from here because my daughter came down with a fever uh, about four days ago. Uh, and we were told we should consider self-quarantining. Uh, the fever lasted about two days. We were very concerned. We made plans to do the show remotely then. Uh, and now she seems perfectly fine. She had a, a rough night and uh, a little bit of a sniffle. We were worried that it was getting worse. And then the symptoms resolved. Uh, everybody else in the family seems fine. But we had already decided to do this live from the garage. So uh, so we're, we're going old school for me. And, and uh, I'm out in my old garage and and, and ready to go. Lou, how are you doing? Very good. This is like a behind the scenes at your normal uh, Facebook lives in the garage there. And yeah. 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 What, what Lou is talking about is I've been getting on my personal Facebook page and, and drinking tea at night and, uh, <laughs> you know, just kind of uh, rambling on about whatever I'm reading or uh, watching or uh, whatever I'm drinking, if I'm drinking tea. Uh, and it's been uh, it's been it's been kind of fun. I would have told I you to go with the hoodie, though. Yeah, everybody I do, likes I do the, like hoodie the hoodie look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because they think it makes me look like a, a Jedi. Um, it's maybe a little warm for yeah. for the hoodie, for for my taste. So I I do have I have to scale back. So maybe someday, maybe someday if we get a cold spell, I'll bring the hoodie out. I like it. Uh, so today is the I don't know if I'm going to be able to pronounce his name right. Uh, today, have you ever heard of a guy named Israel Kamakawiwa Ole? I have, I have not. No, does he play for the Tigers? What is, what's going on? With him? Yeah, he is. Uh, he is. He is passed, and he's one of the most famous ukulele players. Uh, and today was his birthday, so I went over to to Google, and they have the you know the Google Doodle. Yep. They have Israel. I'm just going to call him by his first name and a little uh, tribute to this guy. Um, you've heard him before because he does that very sweet kind of lilting version of of that of. Um, Somewhere over the rainbow, yeah, and yeah. you know what I'm talking about. Yes, I do. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I just thought it was interesting that today was his birthday, and our guest today happens to be Melvin Taylor, who is a ukulele player, musician, songwriter from Lowell, Massachusetts. Nick, uh, uh, Melvin, can you hear me? Yep. Yes, I can. Oh, there we go. Yep. Did, did you know today was that guy's birthday? I did not. Yeah. Do, do, do you listen to his music? Do you know anything about him? I've I've heard him. I've heard him before, obviously, when I got into the uke. Like 20 years ago, I listened to everybody. Um, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. He played, I think he played a tenor uke. Um, he's big, pop, popular, you know, popular in the in Hawaii. That's all, kind of all I know about him. Not yeah, really yeah. Him. You were into this. I mean, it's become, uh, people say it's become a little bit trendy to play the ukulele, but you've been playing ukulele for a long time what inspired it, you to get into that instrument it it was sort of a lot of things so um like uh, certain songs like help me Rhonda," i always had that has that ukulele part in it played by lyle ritz and then um song you know like uh like raindrops keep falling on my head even though it, it, i don't think it's actually a ukulele but it always sounded like one i always like the idea of the of it and when i was in high school so i graduated in high school in 1989 when i was in high school i asked my dad to get me a ukulele for christmas and he went to a music store and they didn't have one and so they sold him a mandolin yep 
which is like not at all the same. You know, he did his best, the best he could. And then like, um, and then like 20 years ago, maybe I was on a road trip to Minneapolis and I uh, went to Haverhill Music and bought a ukulele to bring with me in the car because I didn't want to bring a guitar and just started playing it. And it was like, uh, and then I right, right around the time my daughter was born, actually probably about a year or so before my daughter was born, I started really getting into it. And I'd show up at band practice and be like, I have a ukulele song. And they'd be like, really? <laughs> and then like the next week I'd be like, I have a couple more ukulele songs. And so it sort of worked, slowly worked its way in, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, one thing, I was listening to your music. I was listening to some of the solo stuff and some of the stuff um, uh, with the, uh, the, the Lowell supergroup, uh, Pinto Loco. And what struck me, maybe a little bit like the Beach Boys, is there's kind of a summery, warm weather feel to a lot of their music, to, to a lot of your music. Uh, yeah. Do you think of it that way? I do. Hmm. I like, uh, I, I think that's like, um, uh, I like the beach a lot. I'm a beach person, even though I don't really swim and I don't know how to surf, but I like, uh, I like just being near the ocean. I don't think I could ever not live near the ocean. Yeah. And I like that sort of, uh, I like that sort of vibe. That's my, my sonic vibe. I like for making, you know, sure. I, I like a lot of different kinds of music that don't sound like the music that I make, but the music that I make, I like to have that kind of vibe. Sure. But it's interesting because I, I think you've said before that you're just perfectly content to be a Lowell musician. A lot of your lyrics are inspired by Lowell and, and draw upon references that you would only really understand yeah. if you knew Lowell. Uh, but you yeah. don't necessarily think of the beach when you think of, of Lowell. That's true. How do those two come together? <laughs> um, I, I, there are elements of the both of them. You know, it's funny. Um, that's why I, I, I've, uh, I've re recently been working with Dave Robinson on a song. Um, he's been like helping me with like research and stuff and uh like his books have a lot of that too you know like it's like kind of grounded in Lowell but then also the beach and he sort of brought them together in like a fictional way yeah, and, yeah. Uh, like um i you know i don't know i don't know how to square those two things it's like sonically we're at the beach but like uh as far as like where these things are happening they're 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 on market street sure <laughs> Sure. Um, let's see. Uh, so before this whole thing started, you were doing a residency at Toad in Cambridge. And was, was that every week? Or was it every other week? Every other week. And we've been doing it for like at least 13 years. Yeah. I, I can't remember exactly when we started, but if I look at like uh, things in my website and stuff, we've definitely been doing it like at least 13 years. And that must, um, be, that must I, so before we get into how that has changed in the face of the pandemic and all that kind sure. of stuff, I'm just kind of curious about your experience doing a residency that long, because it, it strikes me a lot of bands and a lot of musicians just don't have that opportunity, even, you know, kind of professional, big, yeah. kind of famous bands. They don't get to play, go to the spot over and, and then, uh, you know, change up the set list. It doesn't give you that creative potential. One of the things I always heard about the uh, the early Beatles and their time in Germany is they were able to play so much and they were able to do these residencies. The Rolling Stones did a lot of residencies early on. Yeah. And it allowed them to progress as musicians in a way that you wouldn't get 
if you were just kind of touring from city to city to city, playing, you know, uh, different clubs all the time. Absolutely. That's totally true. So originally when I, uh, when I started doing it, um, I wanted, I partially wanted to do it because I don't like to book gigs and, uh, I figured I would just have a residency in Boston and then we wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to book any gigs in Boston anymore. I would just play that, you know, even though it's it's Cambridge. And then for a while we'd play that one and we'd play a lot up in Portland and Portsmouth and, so we were kind of doing this almost like little circle of residencies, but then it just became just the toad one. But you're right. Like, uh, you know, our, our new drummer, Mark Penansky, he's, well, I don't know how he's been with us a couple of years now, but we've never had a rehearsal with him. And we just kind of t- had him learn the songs and just threw them in. And oh. then like, uh, you know, when we come up with new stuff, we have a segment uh, that we do called uh, Old Country Songs We Don't Know. <laughs> and uh, I'll text the guys like the day before the show and be like, hey, we're going to do, you know, uh, uh, Lorette, uh, Loretta Lynn song tomorrow. This one. We're going to do this song tomorrow. I'm doing it in C. And then we just <laughs> show up and play it. And sometimes like they'll be really cool and fun. And so we'll we'll add that one to the list of songs we we're going to play and. It's been really fun. It also, but it has ebbs and flows too. So like, there'll be like periods of time when it just kind of sucks for whatever reason, like cosmically or something. And then, and then before all this happened, we were sort of on like a, we were on our way up again, which was nice. That's that's what it felt like. So when you were playing at Toad, was it, was it, uh, were you playing with a like kind of rotating group of musicians or was like, what was the, what was the situation on stage? Oh no, I have I have a ba- I have a, my fabulous meltdowns that have been playing with me forever. But like, okay, so it wasn't Pinto Loco or some of these other. No, Pinto Loco is like a total is a totally other band that I okay. started with uh, Scott uh, and Carl and uh, and Kevin. A couple yeah, of years. Who are, who are these guys for people who haven't heard them and oh, don't know who those sorry. guys are? Uh, yeah. So Scott Pittman is playing the drums in Pinto Loco, and Carl Johnson, a uh, local guitar player. And uh, Kevin Roach, bass player. And um, I've known those guys probably, you know, 25 years, and we'd never played together. And uh, all the Meltones all play in other bands. And that when there was one day, it was like a couple years ago, two or three years ago, I was like, I want to I wanna be in another band. <laughs> like, everybody else gets to go do other stuff. I want to do other stuff. And my son had gotten into guitars, so I was, like, going out and guitar shopping with Emmett a lot, and and I was like, man, I want an electric guitar and I want to buy an amp. And it was just yeah. fun, just something fun to do. It's like a new kind of music for me um, to write and play. It's like all electric guitar. It's like garage rock, kind of. Yeah. Know? So, and, yeah, uh, definitely very summery. And if people want, you can you can list, go to your streaming service and, and listen to yeah. them. What was the name of the most recent record? It's called Greatest Hits. Greatest Hits. <laughs> right. I was listening to it in the shower this morning. Oh, good. It's perfect for today. I mean, it really. This is Pinto Loco weather, right? If you want to know what the album sounds like, look outside your window. That's right. That's what I felt yeah. like. Yeah, um, we all ordered some matching pink jackets from China, and we were up and running. Yeah, we're actually, yeah. we actually are working on a web, uh, uh, a half-hour variety hour show that's going to be out on the web soon. Just yeah. for fun. 
So you, you're, uh, I mean, one of the things you're known for is as a, a songwriter and a lyricist. When you come up with something, you come up with it as, oh, this is something I'm going to do solo. This is something I'm going to do with a band. How do things get delegated in that way? Um, writing. Well, I mean, for years, it was, all I did was write uh, for the Meltones. Um, and then, um, I mean, really, mostly the past couple of years, I've mostly just been writing uh, new Pinto, like Pinto Loco stuff. Um, but I've recently, during the... During the uh, during the shutdown i've been coming up with some uh meltdown stuff too and um so i don't know you kind of just feel you know start writing a song and be like i think this one would be better over here this one totally goes over here but then sometimes i'll just have like a uh like an idea for something that specifically goes to like the pintos and that's like a different style of songwriting too for me. So I kind of sit down and decide I'm going to do it and then do it. How is it different? Uh, it's different in that like um, like um, the mountain stuff is uh, kind of a great American s- song book. It's like it's crafty. So like uh, um, it you know songwriting is a craft it's like building uh furniture or any other kind of crafty art and i'm not the most articulate guy in the world but it, it's a it's a craft and like a lot of the like the great really great songwriters like you know neil sadaka or uh um uh, uh, irving berlin it's like uh it's like a fine piece of furniture and all the pieces fit perfectly and so with like the with the with the Meltone stuff, I sort of approach it that way. Like um, uh, it's like traditional. It's like traditional American songwriting. And then yeah. like uh, with the Pintos, it's like classic rock based stuff. So you just you come up with like a guitar riff, or sometimes I'll just uh, a friend of mine write songs based on uh, like a title. So just come up with a song title and then write to that. And so it's like freer. It's like more, it's, it's, it's like kind of going from uh, like painting portraits to paint, to like uh, abstract paintings, you know, yeah. that, that's the best way I could describe it. Sure. So I've spoken with some artists and writers who have had a real tough time uh, creatively during this shutdown, even if they have time. It sounds like you're writing. And you're doing oh, yeah. stuff. I've, this has been uh, the biggest, um, the bit, you know, one of the things I always, my kids are both songwriters. And so I always tell them, I always try to give them like t- tips, but a lot of it is just like, it's like a muscle. It's like time. And you just have to put the time into it. And like the more time you put into it, like the better you get. And the, the more you'll get out of it too. Like I used to, you know, when I had the time, when I was a younger guy, I would like write a song a week or, you know, whether it was good or not. And the theory was, you know, if I write 20 of them, like one of them will be good. You know, you sort of play the and then you have like, you know, song ideas that you can mine later. I do a lot of that because, you know, if you have a song that didn't really work out like six months from now, you could be working on something and you go grab a little piece out of that and 
stick it over here and that, that's your chorus. And it was originally the verse of a song from before or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, just having nowhere to go and nothing to do and has been good for me. Yeah, I mean, it, it, your bio on your uh, uh, webpage says that you get lost a lot. I do. Yeah, <laughs> but it sounds like that's part of the songwriting process as well. I suppose. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that yeah. is true. I mean, that's kind of how uh, how you have to do it. You have to just sort of go and see what's there. And sometimes there's nothing there. And then sometimes there is. Yeah, how are you recording all this music? Are you putting it on like a four track? Or are you recording it in some way like that? Or you're just writing it down? Like, how do you... How do you record these scraps that might turn into something down the road? So I used to record them all onto my phone and, uh, and I just like voice memos. I have like a phone full of voice memos. That's not a great way to go because when something goes wrong with your phone, you lose a bunch of them. But um, during the pandemic, once I realized like we we're going to be kind of, I was going to probably be stuck inside for a while. Um, I had like some health stuff. So like, even like when, when when everyone else is kind of going to start venturing out i'm i'm going to probably wait so i'm going to probably be it's going to be a while so i got some like a little recording device and uh i think the plan is that i'll record like vocals and guitar tracks and send them to the other guys at least so we can learn new stuff because we can't practice we tried to figure out ways to practice remotely but you can't because of the lag time. Supposedly there's some, uh, there's this program that I've never actually talked to anyone who's used it, but supposedly there's not any lag time and, but you have to be able to plug into the modem directly. Maybe that's a longer answer than you're looking for, but. Yeah, yeah. So now that you're not doing the residency at Toad, uh, what have you been doing performance wise? Uh, so I've been doing an online residency at Toad. So ah. I was doing every other Thursday, 7.30 to 9.30. And so still every other Thursday, 7.30 to 9.30, I play on my Facebook page and uh, play songs, take requests. Yeah. No, do what I can. Now, at least it's, like, at some point you were, you were asking for donations to support the staff at, at Toad. Is that still happening? I started with the staff, um, but I think they're like probably um, – and then I've done like um, – like last week, uh, we did. I did Budget Buddies, which is like a local uh, organization. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they uh, they help um, uh, women and girls, uh, you know, get a leg up and get out of bad situations and give them the tools to better themselves. That seemed like I go for walks through the city uh, with my lady, and uh, I don't know. It came up about how. During this time, in fact, I saw a thing on TV today during this time, you know, domestic violence is is a real problem because people are just stuck inside. And I was I got bummed out about about that and thought, well, maybe we can raise a little money for that. Sure. You know? uh, so for people to watch this once again, the way to watch is to is to uh, go over and follow your Facebook page. Uh, no, I think it's like or my so there's like. Years ago, when Facebook was a thing, I had a management company out of Chicago. Okay. And they started. One of us started one of the pages. I, I don't. I don't even remember what happened, and I don't know. Okay. How, but I like two Melvin Taylor accounts, and one of them is just like my personal page. Okay. But then it's like there's this, like almost like a band page, I guess. Okay. Uh, 
I don't really, I don't think I made that. <laughs> All right, but which, if people want to see the, uh, the Thursday yeah, night friend, shows. Yeah, just like friend me. Okay, so friend Melvin Taylor on Facebook. So yeah, I'm going to do the, something different right now that I haven't done before. Okay. Uh, and we'll, we'll see if it works. Maybe, maybe like uh, improvising a song that you've never played before. We'll see if this works. I'm going to throw out the name of, uh, of uh, five different bands. We'll see if we can get the five. And I just want to hear what your take is on them, your history, what you think of them, maybe if they've influenced you. I'd be curious to, uh, to hear that. Some okay. of them you've, you've already mentioned, so maybe we're, we're psychically connected a little bit. Okay. You ready to go? Yes. The Beach Boys. I love the Beach Boys. They're like one of my earliest uh, loves. My older, we used to go to my uh, cousin's uh, beach house at Hampton Beach as a kid. And my older, my older cousins had uh, uh, like Spirit of America and uh, Endless Summer. And they gave, I think they gave us Endless Summer. I don't know if you remember, I don't know how old you are, but with that summer, that when Endless Summer came out, that compilation, it was like huge. Like every house in the world had that album. It was like the soundtrack of my childhood. It's such an amazing collection. And I love their, I love their, all those early albums. So like everyone talks about like uh, Pet Sounds and stuff. And this is going to start a big argument. But Pet Sounds, to me, this is like a Brian Wilson album. It's not really like a Beach Boys album, you know? Because, like, the Beach Boys albums are like, it's like there's like they're like a rock and roll band. And they're, you know, I don't know. I yeah. like the early stuff better. Right on. All right. Tom Waits. I like Tom Waits. Like, um, I like Tom Waits. I don't love Tom Waits. I like Tom Waits. Like, I had Closing Time and... Uh, uh, I had a few others. We used to we cover uh, Blind Love sometimes. Um, I like Tom Waits. Part of the reason I, I throw him out there is because when I didn't know you and I didn't know anything about you and I'd only seen sort of publicity materials, yeah, I figured you were kind of in that same territory, but you are not at all. No. I was surprised when I finally heard your music because I was expecting Tom Waits and I yeah. got to something very, very different. So I've always kind of wanted to ask you, yeah, uh, if you went through a Tom Waits period, if you had any real relationship with his music, I've I've tried him. It's like uh, there are certain artists that you keep trying coming back to and trying them on, um, and I like some of the stuff I like a lot. Like uh, like um, like that closing time album, I think is really good, and like any time I hear him, I'm like, oh, that's cool. I like that, you know. But yeah. I don't not I'm not really that. In, it's not one of sure. my top ten. Sure. Okay. Number three, Kiss. Love Kiss. You've been, you've been, you've been on my Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not really supposed to. You're, you're not really supposed to get me started on the Kiss, but I do. Uh, the uh, the '70s Kiss is uh, super fantastic. I love them. One of my all-time favorites. Why do you like them so much? I like them because. Um. I think their I think their songs are interesting, and I think that they're all my favorite bands are sort of like some of their parts bands, and um, and I think uh, that the original four members all brought something really unique to the table. Um, I think uh, I think their songwriting uh, early on before they got like other songwriters, it's like kind of odd, sort of weird. And like, you know, Peter Chris, he's like a jazz drummer. Like they wanted a, you know, they wanted like a John Bonham drummer and they got this like jazz drummer, but that like gives it a whole different feel. 
that's just super interesting to me musically. And uh, of course, Ace Freely is the coolest. He's not the best guitar player ever, but he's the coolest, certainly the coolest guitar player ever. All the stuff he plays is super cool. And, uh, and I can get into like personal things about them. I think just them as people are interesting. They're like uh, Chuck Klosterman. I don't know if you know who Chuck Klosterman yeah. is, but he, he said the best thing about Kiss. He said, Kiss isn't my favorite band but they're my favorite band to think about. And that is <laughs> so true. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I Kiss were spoiled for me because when I was a kid, there was this mystique around them that you, that you saw them sort of as living superheroes. And you right. spoke about them with hushed tones. And there were rumors sure. about the things they did and like these palaces. Like we were just, we were little kids and we were talking. We just, before I think anyone at my age had heard them, we just invented this kind of crazy like sure. mythology about this band. And then finally I had enough money and my mom let me buy a kiss record against, she didn't want me to buy one. Yeah. I kind of insisted and I bought unmasked. Ah, <laughs> right? oh, that's, that's so, that's terrible. I know. I know. <laughs> and so that was it. So it was like the whole mystique came crumbling down uh, yeah. it, for people who don't know Un unmasked was their, their disco record. And it's not even a good disco. No, record. it's, it's not even it's the disco record was, uh, was dynasty. And that one, I like dynasty a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, unmasked that, is like, yeah. Even Paul Stanley doesn't like unmasked. Yeah. yeah. It, it, the whole mystique just disappeared overnight with me. And I could, I could never recapture that, that feeling yeah. that these guys were superheroes. You know, it's funny. I have a, some, like a kind of similar early take on them too. So I had that same experience as a kid, um, you know, hearing all the stuff about them. And then like my dad wouldn't let us buy Kiss records and stuff. And so it wasn't actually until high school that I got into them. My friend, a friend of mine had gotten um, like a videotape at a flea market. And it was like a, all these kiss bootleg concerts and we would just go to his uh his house after school and just watch these old you know now you can see them all on youtube and stuff but i just thought they were so they were so cool they were kind of beatly too you know like they always say they were trying to be like a really heavy loud beatles and early on that was certainly kind of what they were going for they had the two microphones and while one guy's singing over here the other two are singing in the other Mike, I might, you know, maybe I'm overthinking it, but that, and then they had uh, all these, he, the videotape had these cool interviews. It had that Tom, there's this famous Tom Snyder interview that they did. I don't know. I just, I like them a lot. My kids have had enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Next up, number four, ABBA. ABBA. I like ABBA. I like ABBA a lot. You know, I'm like greatest hits. I, I'm not like a deep cuts guy, but, uh, I like, uh, you know, the soundtrack of my childhood. When I was a kid, we used to have, like, um, Spanish foreign exchange students coming and staying with us for the summer. And they would always play, like, stuff like that. And, you know, summertime always – summertime was always, like, the best time in our house because, like, the Spanish kids would come and they would, like, party basically all the time. And uh, my mother would hang out with them. They'd all smoke, you know. Remember how it was back when we were kids? Like everybody smoked. These kids yeah. were like, these kids were like fourteen years old or whatever, you know. And uh, they'd all smoke and listen to music and dance around the house. And all the different other Spanish kids would come to our house. And like for some reason, we were like 
we seemed to be the place where they'd all congregate and it was just real fun and ab always makes me think of stuff like that the, the 70s is such a good time for music like yeah. all you know uh you you have to be one of the only people who's who uh connect with abba via spanish exchange students though it's an unusual <laughs> yeah, <maybe>. path <laughs> all right last yeah. one you ready for the last one yeah yeah taylor swift oh i do like taylor you know i started listening to taylor swift because uh, of my daughter and uh you know it's funny when my uh when my daughter everly was little i used to i'm kind of a like a music hog generally speaking you know, like if if we're somewhere i'm the guy who's playing the music and i've always been like that and uh and I took her to a father-daughter dance. It was like the first father-daughter dance that they had had at her school. And they w- the DJ would play these songs, and all the other little girls would be like, yay! And they'd run over and start dancing. And Everly was just like kind of looking at them and not knowing what was happening. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm that, I'm that dad. <laughs> and so, like, the next day, I immediately started, you know, asking my kids what they wanted to listen to and trying to – you know, we started playing like Kiss 108 in the car so they could like they were missing out on like cultural touch points with their peers. And so at one point she got into Taylor Swift. And I think the first album that we got uh, was Fearless. And we just like drive around doing stuff and listen to that. And I was like, damn, this album is super good. Like that album is a solid 10. I have this playlist that I made for the kids of solid 10 albums, just a whole list of albums that I think are perfect from beginning to end. And it's got like Machine Head on it and, uh, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. But I got Fearless on there because that album is a solid 10. Her other albums are really good, too. But that one is like no clunkers. Cool. So what we're going to do is uh, Lou always has questions. So I'm going to have Lou ask a few questions if he okay. has them. And then after that, we'll, we'll play a couple songs. Is that OK with you? Yeah. I, I, I want to continue this discussion about music because I thought it was fascinating, the five bands that Doug picked out. And Melvin, you and I are very much in line on all this stuff. And I think what it comes down to is hooks. As a songwriter, it's all about hooks. And listen, I don't listen to Taylor Swift. I'm never going to pull out an album, but the girl can write. And she has these, she comes up with these hooks. And the thing about a great song is, and I think you agree, is that if you're singing the chorus the second time through, the first time you hear the song, you've got a hit, right? Just get the hook in. So when you sit down and write a song, you're a guitar player too. So when you sit down and you're going to write a song, do you search for the musical hit, uh, hook, the riff? Do you search for the lyrical hook? Uh, or do you, how do you start, or is it different each time you sit down? Yeah, it's probably different each time. I never start with a chorus, I don't think, which is kind of odd. Really? That is odd, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of times, like um, uh, someone was telling me, a lot of times it's like my verses or my choruses in some way. Uh, you know, I I kind of, um, mostly I just sit around a lot, you know, I'll just sit around and do this, you know, yeah. watching TV, kind of, you know, doing the, doing the dishes and you stop and you pick it up. And then once kind of you get an idea, I'll like record the idea into my phone and I'll bat it around. And, but then sometimes they just come, it just comes all at once and you just like, you just shit them out, <laughs> you know, like. Who's your songwriter? Who's the guy that, you, if you wanted to show somebody what a songwriter was, who would you show? Well, I mean, there's probably a handful. Like Neil Sedaka is a really amazing songwriter in that um, his songs are really simple sounding, 
But those are the hardest songs to write is like yeah, the, exactly. the simple songs because you can't, uh, you know, like uh, modern rock musicians get to um, uh, d- uh, deal in am- am- ambiguities. Yep. You know, so they can just like I, I a lot of times just come up with lyrics that sound cool. Yep. And like it, they kind of fit together enough and sound super cool that that works. But you write a song like Calendar Girl and like every every single one of those words is like perfectly fitted into this little uh, into this you know little piece of music. And I like Leonard Cohen a lot, you know, which is totally different because he doesn't really write hooks at all, but is uh right. his songwriting is just super beautiful and yeah i i kind of lean on the pop end of rock so tom petty's my guy and the thing about tom yeah. petty is tom petty could always write a simple song he has some great songs that are just so damn simple and the oh, other, yeah the other thing about tom petty is best bridges in the business nobody writes a yeah. bridge better than tom petty that's right that's right and bridges are key too. yeah they yeah. build they build to that crescendo point right and it dumps in the yeah. mike campbell solo and you know that yeah, it just builds that high point of it. Uh, I'm a guitar player too, and I've looked longingly at ukuleles for a long time. And then I start to think I'm going to go get one, and then I say, "Oh, it's just a whole new bunch of chords to learn." <laughs> it's not. It's not. No, I'll I'll tell you right right now. So here's the ukulele, right? Yep. So it's just like you capoed the fifth fret and took the E and the A string off. Oh, I see. So, so this here on a guitar that would be a D, but here it's a G. And then this here would be an A on guitar, but that's a D on the U. Oh, so, so it's just all movable. It's just it's just the capo and movable chords, right? Yeah, the shapes of the chords are for the most part the same. And then there are some uh, that chords that you just kind of discover because the the G is a high G, so yep. So instead of this being a lower note, it's high, and so it kind of gives it a <laughs> like a different vibe slightly. But I thought that too. Like when I first got a ukulele, I was like, I don't even know how to play this. But then once I started looking at it, I was like, wait a minute, these are all, these are all just regular chords. You so just, you'd have no problem picking it up. You just got to do some transposing, I guess. <laughs> you do, but that actually made me a better musician. I'm a completely self-taught musician. I don't know any, um, any, uh, any theory, which is a drag because, um, like a lot of times, I'll have like a song idea. And I'll know kind of where I, I know I'm here and I want to get to here, but I have no idea how to get from here to here. Yep. You know, whereas people who know theory know how to get from there to there. And for me, I just have to spend a whole bunch of time just trying to figure out how to get there. And it's a bummer. So learn, learn theory. This is a, yeah, <laughs> I'm a guitar player. I'm not going to be doing yeah. that. <laughs> right. Uh, this is an impossibly vague question, but I'll ask it anyway. What's the song you wish you wrote? Uh, oh, um, uh, tie a yellow ribbon around the old oak tree. Oh, really? Huh? Yeah, that's like one of the best songs ever. It tells a story. It's got great chords. The chords are insane, and uh, and I love everything about that song. Excellent. Or maybe what'll I do? Oh, yep. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Let's hear some music. All right. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna I'm just gonna put my microphone on mute and zip my lip and and let you run and you're gonna play two songs. That sound good? All right. Yeah. Right on. Sleepy eyes, don't close your sleepy eyes. 
myself to sleep all day I'm waiting for this moment of nocturnal rest just give us one little kiss and I'll keep hoping that you'll keep open them sleepy eyes my heart's been brutalized it's battered and blue it's all cut for you and your sleepy
Very nice. Hey, can I ask uh, one last question? Yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, the lyrics, uh, because there's, e even though there's um, a simplicity to a lot of what you're doing, um, the lyrics can really surprise you at times, I find. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I'm just wondering where the lyrics come from and how much, like, did you go through a period in your life when you thought of yourself as, as kind of a poet or a writer? Or were you always on the side of music? Uh, I've always been on the side of music. Um, but I do feel like I write better when I read more. Hmm. It, it <laughs> Me too. Been, yeah. And so I've been, so I have been trying to read more lately. Yeah. What are you reading? I'm reading, um, what's it called? The Shipping News. My buddy Chris uh, Anzalone recommended that to me. And I'm reading uh, Dave Robinson's book again, the uh, the Sweeney anthology, the big one. Yeah, yeah. And I'm uh, and I just finished a uh, um, what was I? I just finished a. Well, that's not it's it's not a uh, it's not a fiction book, but I finished a uh, biography of the uh, of Noel. What's his name? The manager of Van Halen. And I'm also reading a Tom Petty uh, biography. Yeah. Cool. And Daredevil comic books. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Hey, that was that was really great. I, I'm so thankful you came on today. And it was just perfect weather and, and the music sounded good. Yeah. Just good. Hope, uh, I hope you when you start getting gigs again, like live gigs, I hope yeah. maybe you'll come on again. Oh, absolutely. I'd love to. Anytime. Yeah, that was great. Awesome. Cool. Thanks. All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Uh, Next week, I think it's T.R. Moynihan, who's a local novelist. She wrote a uh, noir. Actually, if you want to add something to your reading list, she wrote a book called Sweet, Sweet Jane, which is uh, yeah. like noirish detective fiction set oh, in, cool. the whole, in the 1970s. Really fantastic book. Uh, so I think she's the guest uh, next week. So that wraps it up for today. Cool. Thank you again. All right, man. Thanks for having me. I'll see you at your next tea chat. <laughs> right, right on. All right. All right. Bye. Do I hang Goodbye. up? Bye.